good to see so many people here this morning as always. I, I'm excited. You'd almost think this was the first Sunday of spring. Everybody coming back to church. Praise the Lord, huh? I'm ready for a new season. That's cool. Um, happy spring. Easter's coming. Okay, um, if you have, as you're finding your places, you can also find your place in the Bible. We're studying 2 Corinthians. Continuing that study, we're starting chapter 9 today. The theme of chapter 9 is still the same theme as chapter 8, and that's giving. And so with that in mind, we're going to enter into a slightly different view of that today. We'll see that as we get going. You know, too often, Christian preachers, churches are stereotyped as greedy and self-serving, always going after the money, right? I mean, you, you hear that, and it happens. But the reason why that stereotype exists is because there's people out there that will use these high-pressure pitches and emotional pleas and some guilt-driven legal requirement. You see the guys on TV that say stuff like, just send in your seed money and God will give you a special blessing, you know, all that kind of baloney. But the issue of giving according to the Bible actually is very different. And the truth, like any subject that's properly understood from the Scriptures, well, like Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And when you understand the truth about biblical giving, well, it sets you free. It just does. It sets you free from all these legalistic pressures or thoughts that well, I better do this or else, or however it, however it tends to hit you. It is freeing. And so what I would like for us to do today, and, and the message today is actually fairly simple and straightforward. We're going to cover a couple of verses that I'm sure so many of you are already well acquainted with. But what I want us to see is, and this is the title I've given today's message, the necessary perspective on giving. The Lord is going to give us a very clear perspective, what our perspective should be concerning this subject of giving. Because if you have the right biblical perspective, well then giving is not a problem at all, right? In fact, giving is a joy. That's what it is. It's, it's an, an act of worship. And it, and it should be a joy because it exercises. What you're doing when you're giving the right way with the right attitude is you're, you're actually exercising a quality of God himself. God is a giver. And when you're a giver, then you have that in common with him. That creates fellowship. You and the Lord together when that happens. We saw in the last chapter, in chapter number 8 and verse number 4, where Paul says, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. He's talking about the churches of Macedonia. Otherwise, poverty-stricken, begged him to take the gift. Why? And take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So the people that give, the people that receive the gift, and ultimately the Lord are all in close fellowship together when you behave as God behaves. And let me just say this. You don't need me to tell you here at First Baptist Church. Those of you who faithfully attend here have grown and matured greatly in your lives. And you don't need me to tell you about the importance of giving. You already know that. And uh, that cannot be better demonstrated 
than in what we're about to do because I promised you last week I would give you the offering totals from a couple weeks ago when we had our REACH Missions Conference, right? So um, the FBC offering totals from that Tuesday and then through last Sunday, um, well, we're going to play a little game, okay? Because I want you to kind of get the, the magnitude of what's going on here. So the next slide, there are five numbers, and the five numbers fill those five blanks. So what I want you to think about is, and, and you know, we could play the games forever, the combinations with five numbers, what, what might they be, and I thought about having a little rolling thing with the numbers that pop up or whatever, but let me just ask you this, literally, just super simple, the people that are in the house, by a show of hands, how many people think the first number, because that's the big one, right? The first number is a one. We've got a, a handful of people over here, not a, not a bad, sp okay, how many people think we're jumping all the way to four as the first number? More than people that thought there was one, good, okay, we'll see, <laughs> praise the Lord. Good attitudes, guys. Uh, going up from there, five. Don't vote twice, but yeah, okay, good. <laughs> Anybody for six? Anybody think we made it to the sixes? There's still, actually, I wasn't looking up. There's people upstairs, too. I'm oh, praise the Lord. How about seven? We're going for the big daddy on this one, seven. <laughs> there's, there's a fair division among the body of, unless you guys are just all raising your hand. I don't know who's doing that. Those are the five numbers as... The Listen, before we give you the number, let me just say, regardless of how it plays out, right, praise the Lord. And thank you so much because I believe you gave it with the proper biblical perspective. I believe you gave it with joy and desire to continue to propagate the work of the Lord and the Lord would be glorified, right? Okay, you ready? Boom, drum roll, let's do it. Is that amazing? That is amazing. I, I never, there's all kind of, so the guys who do manipulate fundraising and are, are really good at it, um, they, you know, there's certain rules that they have about setting goals and really priming the pump and getting people thinking about it. And I, I don't like that and I'm not good at that, so I didn't do any of it. I didn't set a goal for you. I just prayed that God would give us what we needed. And, and honestly, in my mind, if this means anything, it probably just means that I have little faith. I thought it would be awesome if we could raise like $30,000. And obviously the Lord wants much more than even I or maybe many others imagined. Um, but praise the Lord. There's a, we'll hear more about this as time goes on. Uh, it's an exciting, exciting opportunity. But I say all that, to, and go ahead and take that down because I don't want y'all staring at that too long. <laughs> I say that because your testimony mirrors that of the Corinthians. And that's where we're starting in chapter number 9. So look at the first couple of verses of chapter number 9. He starts out that way. Paul says, For as touching the ministering to the saints, and he's talking literally about giving this offering, it's superfluous, unnecessary for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia... Achaia is the southern region of what we understand Greece, the area where Corinth was, Macedonia, the northern region. He was boasting to the Corinthians about the Macedonians in chapter 8. Now he's saying, I boasted to them about you guys. 
that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. You see, when you get on board and when you do what's right for the right reason, what happens is other people are stimulated to want to do it too. Your zeal provokes many others. And that's the way it should be. So I say let's just keep going uh, with this, again, necessary perspective on giving. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read. I read the first two verses. We're going to go through verse 7. I'll just pick it up at verse 3. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest haply, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof you had notice before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. This is going to be an encouragement to you, I'm sure. Let's go ahead and just ask the Lord to bless our study today. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, I do pray that indeed you would help us to have this biblical perspective on the idea of giving and, and help us to just kind of settle it in our hearts once and for all. Many already have, I'm sure, and many others are still kind of learning and doing that. And so I just pray that you help us to see your heart in this issue. We just need to walk with you. We need to live our lives in response to you and your never-ending abundant gifts to us. And I pray, Lord, that our gifts to you, this particular project we just raised money for and all the other things that we invest in your kingdom would be a pleasure to you and a help to the work to be able to get the word out to so many other people. We pray that you would be honored and glorified in this time we have together in Christ's name. Amen. All right, the first section that we're going to look at, verses 3 through 5, I'm calling the preparation of giving. The preparation, that's your blank. And uh, the idea is very clear. Paul says, look, I know that you guys know all about it. It's unnecessary for me to have to write to you and talk to you about the importance of giving. He says, yet... In verse 3, I sent some guys. We saw that last time. So there's Titus and two other unnamed men. Lest our boasting of you should be in vain. Why? That, as I said, you might be ready. You need to be ready. It speaks to preparation. In fact, that same word ready here, if you went back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 8, it's that chapter that talks about speaking in tongues and all that sort of thing. It uses the word preparation, the exact same word. If the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself? Who will get ready for the battle? So Paul gives that admonition, and that's your next little thing in your notes. Get ready. This is the admonition. Get ready. The focus of these verses is Paul saying to the Corinthians, I'm sending the guys. They're going to collect the offering. I've already bragged about you. I know you already know about it. The time has come. The guys are coming. Get ready. Get ready. It's time to give. And I would say that Paul is very kind to give the Corinthians fair warning, right, that they were coming to receive this offering. They already knew the value. They understood it. Yet he wants them to know the timing, the guys are on their way. They're coming. 
and they're going to collect, right? And so when they get there, your gift should be ready ahead of time, beforehand, right? He said basically the same thing at the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16 and verses 2 and 3, where it says, upon the first day of the week, that would be a Sunday, right? The last day is a Saturday. That would have been the Sabbath. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. We don't need, I'm not going to show up as a traveling missionary and get to your church and have it be last minute you're scrambling to determine, oh, we got to do something for Paul. Get ready ahead of time. Start laying it in store ahead of time. And so there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality or generosity unto Jerusalem. It's the exact same context. So, I mean, face it. Nobody likes to be caught off guard, right? Everybody likes to get fair warning so that we can, as it says in chapter 8 and verse 19, prepare our minds. I mean, sometimes it just takes a little time. I don't know about you. I... I don't always work that great just on the fly, on the, on the moment. People say things to me or ask me questions or ask me things on the moment, and in my mind, I'm scrambling a little bit, and I go home a half hour later, and I'm like, man, why didn't I say this, you know? Everybody needs a little time so they can prepare their minds, and then when the time comes, our will is also ready, like it says in chapter 8 and verse number 11, so that then we can give from our bounty, we can give from our abundance, and not feel a panic. Oh my goodness, it's time. Now I need to give. And they're asking me, I need to give. And I want to prepare, but I don't know what I'm going to do. And people panic. And when you're in a panic mode, well, then your natural fleshly reaction is to be covetous. And maybe not even intending to be. But if you're in a panic mode, you're thinking, well, wait a minute. I don't know if I can write a check for this much money because I might need it still. And well, again, that's a fairly natural reaction. But the root of it is really you're thinking about yourself and keeping what you need to keep. So the smart thing to do is, well, give them some time. Let them get ready ahead of time. Let them prepare themselves. And so this idea of the preparation for giving is actually a very important thing. Actually, the Lord reminds us frequently through the Scriptures to get ready, right? So, for example, this one pops up quite frequently. Um, We're to get ready for the coming of the Lord and the ultimate judgment, that we will all face, right? And, and ultimately, as Jesus said, like in Matthew 24, 44, this would be Jesus and his disciples when he's on the Mount of Olives and he's teaching them. And he goes through a lot of different things about the tribulation to come and all that sort of thing. He gets to verse 44 and he says, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. So God gives us warning. There's coming a day, a day of reckoning. I'm going to come. I'm going to judge all men. I'm going to do all this. You better get ready. You better get ready. You better get ready. And we do that regularly over and over again in this church as a matter of course. We're going to have our Easter service. We're always evangelistic on Easter. There's always people here who maybe haven't heard the gospel. And so we're just telling them, get ready. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. You go into Matthew 25 and verse number 10. This would be the story that Jesus tells of the ten virgins. And five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Well, concerning the wise ones in verse 10, it says, And while they went to buy, the foolish had to go buy the oil. They didn't bring any. The bridegroom came, and they that were ready, the wise ones, they went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. 
They had warning. They knew the bridegroom was going to come. They didn't know exactly when. You had to be ready. You had to be ready. Basically the same story as it shows up in Luke's gospel in chapter number 12 and verse number 40. He says, Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. And, you know, when you read verses like that, you ought to at least consider within yourself. This is a really fun preaching point. I'm not going to take the time and actually do it, but let me just mention this. If deep down in your heart and your soul, if, if I were to ask you privately, do you really truly believe that the Lord could come back for you this hour? And theologically, most of you would say, well, yes, of course. But if really, really deep down you're thinking, well, I mean, probably not. I mean, there's probably a good ways still. If you really, truly think it's probably not coming now, that's actually a really good time for him to come, according to these verses, right? At such a time that you think not, well, that's when the Son of Man's going to be coming. And getting ready is super important because in those verses, in in that context, if that day comes and you're not ready, if you're not saved, well, there's some heavy consequences to that. But God has been giving mankind fair warning, well, for thousands of years, thousands and thousands of years now. But let's get back to our context. Our context is concerning financial giving. And there is a similar forewarning to be ready beforehand, and that's just to gather up this offering. We see the same idea as Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, where Paul says, charge them that are rich in this world. Um, You all qualify, by the way. We all qualify. That they be not, so so he's writing literally directly to, to people just like us. What does, he, what, do, what does he want us to be charged with? That they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works. And they need to be ready for something. They need to be ready to distribute what they have, willing to communicate. You see, if God gives you excess, well, don't trust in that as your security. I think a lot of people learned in 2020 that a lot of times that security can be stripped out right from underneath them without understanding or reasoning or or whatever. And and there may be even worse days to come ahead. I hope not, but you never know. And, And you better not trust in those things, but rather you better trust in God. And he says you better be ready for something. What you need to be ready to do is not just agree with the principle, need to be ready to actually distribute the things that God has entrusted to you, to others who have need. When you'll do that, then that act makes you, as it says, rich in good works. Rich in good works. And that's why the very next verse, verse 19 says, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So being rich in good works and being a conduit of God's blessings of resources through you and being ready and willing and actually distributing the things God gives to you, taking the wealth that you have and allowing it to be used for God's ministry all over, well, that lays up in store for you riches in heaven. 
You see, this is the Pauline doctrine version of what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 19 and 20. We've covered this territory. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But rather, lay up for yourselves, lay up for yourselves, by the way. I mean, it's not totally magnanimous. I mean, you are getting something for it, and we'll see that in just a minute. We'll get to that part here. Lay up for yourselves treasures, not on earth, but in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And I might add, borrowing a phrase from a different verse and even a different context, Paul did it, I can do it. And all the more, even as you see the day approaching. Even as you see the day approaching, brothers and sisters, what are we saving it for? I mean, it's just something to think about. You see, we need to take this principle, this this necessary perspective to its logical end. Because financial giving is just simply indicative of your overall spiritual life of surrender and your faith and your service to the Lord. How you handle the stewardship of your monetary resources is just a test. It's nothing but a test. And we saw this even not long ago. The parable of the steward in Luke 16 finishes with this lesson at the end of that parable in verses 10 and 11 where Jesus says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. If I've tested you on the things that don't matter that much, you've proven your character to be able to be equally faithful in things that are more valuable and more important. He that's unjust in the least, if you've proven you can't be trusted with this simple thing, well then, you're also, right, going to be unfaithful or unjust in much. And then it goes on in verse 11, just to clarify, if therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? So if Titus and the other two guys arrive and they find the Corinthians unprepared to give after all of the boasting on their behalf, well then they'll they'll be ashamed. There'll be some level of regret and humiliation. And I would add that if we also don't prepare beforehand to be givers to the Lord, and as we'll see in just a minute getting into the next point, well, then we too will be ashamed before God when we stand before Him with no true riches because we've been proven unjust in this. Well, there's, we weren't ready to distribute. We haven't laid up in store in heaven. Well, there's nothing left. There's going to be shame. The opposite of ashamed is approved, proven. All right, let's move on to the second point, and it's just verse 6, and we're going to call that the proportion of giving, the proportion. Verse 6, very well-known Bible verse, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Amen. This is a promise from God. You will reap what you sow you will reap what you sow and and if you're like me a lot of times your mind immediately goes to the uh uh-oh factor 
thinking you're going to sow bad things and you're like, man, I ain't going to get away with it. I think I, think I get away with it. I'm not going to get away with it. It's the message of parents to teenagers too frequently. You think you're getting away with it. I might not know, but God knows. You know how it goes. But this principle is not necessarily just negative. It can be positive. If you sow, you shall reap. That's what he's saying, right? And the necessary perspective that I believe God wants us to understand on giving as it relates through verse number six is take your focus away from how much you feel like you need to give and rather put your focus on how much you think you want to reap. Think of it that way. What this really is, and this is very important for you to understand, because it's actually a spiritual law that can't be broken, and we'll just call it the law of the harvest. It's the law of the harvest. If you plant, you shall reap. In other words, the way it's been said, you can't possibly. It's impossible according to the law of the harvest for you to outgive God. You can't possibly do it. And I want you to know that there are three specific applications to this law. And they're in your notes. The first couple we'll go through real quickly. The first one I'm calling guaranteed profit. There's guaranteed profit if you sow, you shall is the word. You shall reap. It's never going to happen that you sow and the seed just dies. It's never going to happen. Something else is coming back to you. That's Luke 6.38. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. Give and it shall be given unto you. It is the idea that you are guaranteed to gain back after you give. God will not allow you. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You're not going to be more blessed than the Lord. You're not given more than he's given. The next application of the law of the harvest, number two, guaranteed production. So not just if you sow, you shall reap, but what you sow, you shall reap. In other words, in its kind. This goes all the way back to creation in Genesis chapter 1 and the very first mention in verse 11. God said, let the earth bring forth grass and the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth and it was so the things that you sow will be the things that you reap right so if you're sowing good things you'll reap good things if you're sowing bad things you're going to reap bad things the world tries to take this principle and twist it and remove god out of it and call it karma for example the idea is the same though there is a law of the harvest and it's an absolute law the third one is really where we're landing here today and that's the one we're going to spend time talking about and that's guaranteed proportion again the same word proportion and the idea is this the amount that you sow determines the amount that you reap if you sow more you'll reap more if you sow a little, you'll reap a little. If you sow a lot, you'll reap a lot. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. And this is the aspect I want to see because this is the specific verse that God's given us right here. And I want you to notice that in this proportion, 
there's actually a direct proportion. It's a direct correlation associated with your giving and receiving. Now, I do want you to understand that you sow a seed, or many seeds, but a seed in of itself is something very small. And when it grows, it grows into a plant that's much bigger than the seed. So whatever you plant, you receive back, and we'll see the proportion in a minute, but it it definitely increases. You sow a seed, you reap a harvest, right? So that's an important principle to understand. You're going to get more back. So on the negative side, you you sow a few wild oats, as they say. Well, you're not going to reap a couple of bad consequences. You're going to probably get you a whole plant full of consequences. But we're going to look at the positive side today. Glance down to verse number 10 in this same chapter. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and notice, multiply your seed sown, and the increase of the fruits of your righteousness. There's always a multiplication factor when you sow. We see the same idea as Jesus talks about this grain of mustard seed in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 30. Ray taught and he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. The idea is, You sow some small amount, and God makes it grow. He makes it grow. And there's actually a direct proportion. Now, I set that up so that we can get to this. And what we're going to look at next is Luke 19, 12, and 13. There is an error in your notes, and it was my fault. Uh, It says Luke 12. The the screen will be right, but it's Luke 19. So if you want to scratch that out and put Luke 19, because what we have is the parable of the pounds. Okay, and so the parable of the pounds, verses 12 and 13, is that story that Jesus gives where he says, go down to the second part of verse 13, he cacked his ten servants. I don't know what that is, but that's weird. Okay, go down to the next part of verse 13. Do we have more on verse 13? You didn't write no more? Oh, okay, sorry. I tried to fix it last minute. Again, my fault. This is the part where it would say at the end of verse 13, occupy till I come. We've kind of covered this before. The idea is there's this nobleman, he's got servants, he's got 10 servants, he's got 10 pounds. Ultimately, he gives one pound to each servant, and he says, occupy till I come. That term, occupy till I come, means go out and turn a profit, do some business, be a steward, invest this thing, bring back some profit, go and sow this seed out in the field, and we'll get more from it, okay? And so then, how about verses 16 and 19? We got those? We got verses 16 and 19? Okay. Then came the first saying. So the the guy goes away. He comes back to kind of take account. How did all my servants do? He came to the first saying, how'd you do? Lord, thy pound, one pound, hath gained 10 pounds. And he said unto him, well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little. Remember what we saw a few chapters earlier in Luke 16. Have thou authority over how many cities? Ten cities. The pound that he sowed brought back ten. How much is he ruling and reigning in the millennium? Over ten cities. The second guy, likewise, he invests his pound. He gets five back. That five translates into how many cities? 
five cities. There's a direct proportion in our sowing and our reaping. It's a law. It's the law of the harvest. In fact, if you continued reading, and you don't need to, but the latter part beyond that, there's that guy who says, Lord, I knew you were an austere man, and you sowed where you didn't reap, and you reaped where you didn't sow, excuse me, and all that sort of thing. And so I took that pound, and I hid it in a napkin in the ground, and now here's your pound. And what did the Lord say to that guy? He's like, well, man, you're wicked and evil, and you, didn't, you gained nothing, so you get nothing. In fact, I'm taking away the pound and giving it to the guy with 10 because you sowed zero. You got zero back. You get zero. It's the law of the harvest. You can't beat it. In fact, it is a spiritual law that goes beyond the scope of just financial giving. Kind of alluded to this earlier. It's a spiritual principle that applies in many ways. It's true also of your works either in the flesh or in the spirit. We see this in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's the law of the harvest. And then he goes on and explains what he's talking about in verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And so when you look at these verses, it is one of those good news, bad news situations, right? And it's certainly bad if you're sowing to the flesh. If you're out running around and investing your time and energy and resources and everything to satisfy, satisfy your fleshly desires of yourself, well, don't think you're going to get away with it. Like it says in the Old Testament, be sure your sin will find you out. You might get away with it in front of your mama. You might get away with it in front of your daddy. You might get away with it in front of your church people. You might get away with it in front of your boss at work. But somebody's watching who knows. And if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. That's what he says. And we, we often go there because we often struggle with that. But it's not just there. I mean, you need to look at the good side, which, by the way, is very good. Because if you, friends, are sowing to the Spirit, you will reap of the Spirit. It's a guarantee. It's the law of the harvest. You can't beat it. And I would encourage you today that you should look at it as good news. You should look at it as good news even concerning your financial investment. It's God's promise of reward. Because your free will participation in giving to the Lord, it cannot go unnoticed and it cannot go unrewarded. It's an absolute impossibility. I want you to see an example of this from the Old Testament where Solomon writes in the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter number 11, he starts off this way. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. So, okay, this is, you know, Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived, and there was a lot of typology and symbolism that he used and the things that he's talking He's not talking about, a, you know, a loaf of white bread and throw it out and it comes back soggy. He's not talking about that. <laughs> That'd be gross. What he's saying is you cast stuff out and it's going to come back to you. 
it's going to come back to you, right? So symbolically speaking, comparing Scripture with Scripture, bread represents the Word of God. That's Matthew 4, right? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, right? So the bread represents the Word of God, and the waters are going to represent, like the seas, are going to represent the nations, the nations of people in this world. We see that in Revelation chapter 17. The waters and the seas, these are the nations of the people all over the planet. And so cast your bread, to cast your bread upon the waters, that's to take the Word of God and give it to the nations. That's, that's evangelism, right? And then thou shalt find it after many days. Well, that's, that's the promise of guaranteed results. That's, that's Isaiah 55, 11, right? That God's Word can't return void. We have that one? Yeah, God's word can't return void. It'll accomplish the purpose that he set it out to accomplish. Cast your bread upon the waters and it will return. You may not see it today or tomorrow or the next day, but God will use his word. Okay, that's really what's being taught here. But I just want you to at least just consider it's interesting because the principle still is within the context of the law of the harvest. One of our English colloquial terms for money is bread. At least it used to be. And, and I believe that if you'll cast your bread out upon the waters so that the nations can hear and respond to the word of God, well, it'll come back to you in eternal rewards. It sure will. But... If you're always focused on your earthly circumstances and you're not focused on the Lord and you're worried about what will happen to you if you give too much away and all that sort of thing, well, what's going to happen is you'll never sow. And if you never sow, you'll never reap. That's just how it works. In fact, Ecclesiastes goes on a few verses lower in verse number 4 where he continues to say, He that observeth the wind shall not sow. If you're worried about all the circle, oh man, the wind's starting to kick up. I better hang on to what I got. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. You see, the law of the harvest is very important. You will reap what you sow. And you will reap in proportion as you sow. It's actually a blessing. Okay, the last thing I want us to look at, point number three, is the purpose the purpose of giving. And again, just verse 7, another very well-known verse of Scripture says this, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Okay? A lot of people probably could quote that verse. Everybody knows about that verse, whether you knew this is where it was located or not. Really well-known verse of Scripture, as it should be. What this speaks of is your motivation for giving. It's the purpose behind what you do. Why do you give to the Lord, right? And so it starts off by giving us a couple of reasons why you shouldn't give to the Lord, right? The first one, letter A, is not from grief. Don't give grudgingly. Literally, grudgingly to begrudge somebody something, and you're mad about it. You'd rather keep it than give it grudgingly literally means with murmuring or complaining it's like okay i mean i'll give it but i tell you what i don't want to do i think what you want to do 
Okay, let every man as he purposeth in his heart. It's not even every man how his wife purposes in her heart. Or however you want to plug in those names. Every man as he purposeth in his heart without whining about it. It's not complaining. It's not murmuring. It, those actions show covetousness. You're giving out of covetousness, not out of bounty, right? You're wishing deep down that you could keep it for yourself rather than giving it to benefit others. So don't give from grief. I mean, if good grief. If, if giving is a grief, just keep it. And I, and I say that as a, as a manager of volunteer giving funds. God, truly, before the Lord. If it's a grief to you, don't, don't bother. Don't bother. Some of you will hear that, hey, the guy said don't bother. <laughs> hey, you know, however, however you want to sow your seed before the Lord, God bless you. Okay. <laughs> Not from grief, letter B. Not from guilt. This is the other one. Or of necessity. Don't feel guilty about it. Don't feel like there's some external, arbitrary, propped-up pressure put on you, some, some legal requirement placed upon you. Look, you're not under the law. You're under grace. So just relax. Don't, don't give grudgingly. Don't give as of necessity. Like, man, I got to do it. It's not. Listen, a, a local church, we don't have dues, right? You know, it's not like the Elks Lodge or something. You don't. <laughs> Come, participate freely. Do and you should give in response to the Lord, but that's your business, right? So, not of guilt. The letter we're going to look at, letter C, but from, I had to have a G, so I came up with glee. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? God loveth a cheerful giver. Cheerful. That word, actually, is the only time it's used as such in the scriptures. Uh, to be happy, to be joyful, Right? Literally. God loveth a cheerful giver. And, and I know, I know, some of you, you're just, you're just smart enough to be dangerous. You're thinking, wait a minute, God loves me if I'm not a cheerful giver. God loves everybody. God loves them all the time. God loves us when we're rotten. God loves us when we're sinners. God loves the world of lost people. That's all true. But that's not the context. Oh, yeah. That's not the context. What he's saying is God is pleased when we give cheerfully. God is pleased when that happens, right? So your motivation, this speaks to motivation, your purpose for giving should be simply to bring God pleasure, to please the Lord. We have been created. All things are created for God's pleasure. That's what Revelation 4.11 says. Revelation 4.11 is this scene before the throne room in the third heaven where these beings are just shouting out, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created everything god has created he created for his own pleasure we are here to give god pleasure and one way among many ways 
that you can guarantee you bring God pleasure is be a cheerful, joyful, willing giver. God loveth a cheerful giver. Again, I say, those of you that participated in this Albanian Bible project, man, I, not, and everybody gave whatever amount they decided, but though I believe everyone that gave, you gave for the right reasons, with the right motive, out of an abundance of joy in your heart, with a genuine desire for God to be glorified in his word among the Albanian people. And I don't know, I have weird little thoughts, you know, like anybody, and I, I just imagine when we did that, God in heaven just tilts his head back a little, shuts his eyes, and just smiles. I just imagine he's well pleased with our free will, cheerful gifts. Because giving things away, rather than hoarding them for ourselves, it pleases the Lord. That's why Jesus said in Luke 12, this one is Luke 12, 22 and 23, he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Don't worry about all the little details that we tend to worry about. He goes on further in that sermon in verse 30. He says, For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. The nations of the world, that's the Gentile nations. That's the representative title for people who don't know the Lord. He's saying that's what lost people do. Lost people worry about themselves. Lost people hoard for themselves. Lost people insulate themselves with as many layers as possible because they don't know me. They don't know that I'll take care of them if they'll just surrender to me. But I know what you have need of. You're far more valuable to me than a sparrow or a lily. I'll take care of you. And when our giving to him brings him pleasure... You know what his pleasure causes him to do? To give back to us. So verse 30 rolls into verse 31. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Not just some stuff. The kingdom. So when we quit worrying about ourselves and trust in Him, well, that demonstrates faith. And faith pleases God. And, well, in fact, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And that's Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, you can't please Him. And giving is a test. And giving demonstrates faith. And when you cheerfully and willingly do it, then the Lord is like, wow, that is awesome. He always responds to faith. He always responds to giving. And he always gives back even more because it's a law. But you know what? This is intuitive. I mean, every parent in the room knows that this principle is true. Let's just take a situation where since, okay, you're a parent since your child was born. 
you've done everything in your power to love and to care for and to provide for their every need. Amen? You would do everything and anything you needed to do for them and ask nothing in return. Simply because you love them. Now let's consider that little Joy is growing up and, you know, he's a young man, for example, and it's Christmas time or it's your birthday or something like that and the kid brings you a gift. But he's sad. Because maybe mom made him buy it and give it to you. I don't know. But the truth is he really didn't want to give it to you. He really wanted to keep it for himself. You view that kid giving you, after all you've done for them, after all your willingness to continually and forever provide for them, when they come to you with that kind of an attitude, giving you something because they feel like they have to but they really don't want to, you kind of just want to say, look, son, just keep it. It's okay. Just keep it. I don't need it. I want you to have it. That's what a parent does, right? But... If that kid comes to you with a gift and he's just elated, he can't wait for you to have it. Especially when you know that he had to sacrifice to get it. That just melts your heart. Because you, like God, as a good parent, love a cheerful giver. You love a cheerful giver. And you know what you're going to do for a kid like that in your family who cheerfully and willingly sacrifices to give to you? Didn't have to give you nothing. You don't need anything. You know what you're going to do? You're going to do a whole lot more for him than he ever thought of doing for you, aren't you? Because that's the law of the harvest. And if you get that perspective, then you understand the purpose for giving. To please your loving Heavenly Father. So y'all... Let's get ready. Be ready ahead of time. Prepare your heart, prepare your mind, and make giving a regular systematic part of who you are. Prepare to give to the Lord. And give. Give however much you want. As much as you purpose in your heart to give, give that. And give it with joy. Give it with cheer. Give it with pleasure. Knowing that your gift brings God pleasure. And then just rejoice. Rejoice knowing that the Lord of the harvest is coming and the day of reckoning is fast approaching. That's payday. That's reward day. That's the day you get back in proportion to how you've given. Well, unless you're not saved. And if you're not saved, well, there's only one, there's only one bit of business for you, and that is you need to get saved. So we're, gonna, we're done with this Bible study, but I, I do want to ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray with you. And I want to ask, I know this wasn't a gospel message, but if you're here today and you're not sure that you're saved and you're worried that that day is coming soon and you're not going to be ready, spiritually speaking, man, but you're like, man, I, I want to be ready. I, I want to receive the Lord as my Savior. Um, would you just, I just want to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand? Nobody's going to come to you. Nobody's going to bug you. Man, I'm not sure I'm saved. I just want you to pray for me. Just lift up your hand somewhere. I want to pray for you. I see it. You can just take it down. God bless. Nobody's going to bother you. Anybody else? Just honest before the Lord. I'm not sure I'm saved. Just, just pray for me. Just pray for me. I see that in the corner. Thank you so much. You can put it down. 
I just want to pray for you guys, man, seriously, because there's no time like the present. The Lord's grace and mercy is extended to you today, and there's no magic words. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but really all you need to do is just ask God to forgive you and to save you, and he'll do it. Because when you surrender all of you to him, the law of the harvest kicks in, he surrenders all of him to you. His life is eternal, and that's what you're going to get. So, dear Heavenly Father, I do want to pray for these who've sincerely and honestly raised their hand. They're not 100% sure that if their life were to end, that they would have eternal life. And so I just pray that each, in their own words, in their own way, would just cry out to you and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I know I've blown it. I know I've made a mess of my life, and I know that where I'm heading is the wrong direction. And so, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you'd forgive me my sins, that you'd come into my heart and my life and give me that free gift of eternal life. I pray that you change me. Lord, I give to you all that I know about me. I surrender it all to you right now. And I pray that you would give to me that ultimate gift that lasts forever. That's what I want. I don't know much, but I'm willing to follow you from this day going forward. I pray in Jesus' name. And Lord Jesus, I want to also just pray for the brothers and sisters in this church because here we are. Many of us have known you for a long time and many of us have already understood the, this necessary perspective on giving. But maybe there's somebody who doesn't. Maybe there's somebody who has been really struggling with managing the money. And maybe there's a lot of reasons. Maybe they just need to learn how to be better money managers and take a class like we offer. But whatever the case might be, at the end of the day, Lord, it's a battle of the flesh. It's a battle of the selfish desires. And if there's a need for somebody just to once and for all surrender and just walk with you in freedom, we're not pressuring anybody to do anything. Quite the contrary. They shouldn't feel the need to give out of grief or of guilt, but joyfully surrender And just walk with you in that joy, knowing that we please you with our lives and just joyfully anticipate whatever might come back to our account someday. God, I pray that you continue. I'm so thankful for the givers in this church. I'm so thankful for the response to this recent mission project. I'm so thankful to walk together with them. But there's always somebody. And if they're here listening to this message, I pray that you touch their heart. pray in Christ's name. Amen.